listen for the voice of God, let's pray. Holy God, by the gift of your spirit, show us the truth that you desire and teach, teach us wisdom in our hearts. Let us hear with joy and gladness the word that you speak today through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Our first reading is from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 4. At that time, this people in Jerusalem will be told a blistering wind from the bare heights that rages in the desert toward my people, not merely to winnow or cleanse. This wind is too devastating for that. Now I, even I, will pronounce my sentence against them. My people are foolish. They don't even know me. They are thoughtless children without understanding. They are skilled at doing wrong, inept at doing right. I looked at the earth, and it was out without shape or form, at the heavens, and there was no light. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were rocking back and forth. I looked, and there was no one left. Every bird in the sky had taken flight. I looked, and the fertile land was a desert. All its towns were in ruins. Before the Lord, before this fury, the Lord proclaims the whole earth will become a desolation, but I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will grieve and the heavens grow dark because I have declared my plan and will never change my mind nor cancel the plan. Our second reading this morning is Psalm 14. Fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and do evil things. Not one of them does anything good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humans to see if anyone is wise, to see if anyone seeks God. But all of them have turned bad. Everyone is corrupt. No one does good, not even one person. They are dumb, all these evildoers, devouring my people like they are eating bread, but never calling on the Lord. Count on it. There will be utter panic because God is with the righteous generation. You evildoers may humiliate the plans of those who suffer, but the Lord is their refuge. Let Israel's salvation come out of Zion. When the Lord changes his people's circumstances for the better, Jacob will resort, rejoice, Israel will celebrate. I often wonder when we're using the lectionary, which we're using this fall, what the group that was meeting at Vanderbilt to put it together, what was their criteria for picking these passages? Two uplifting ones this morning from Mary. Maybe they're having a bad day. Who knows? 
Our third reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what woman, if she owns 10 silver coins and loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. Do you have a possession that is particularly precious to you? If I ask you that age-old question, the house is on fire and you can grab one thing Assuming your family is already out, the pets are out, if you can grab one thing, what do you grab? You ever thought of that? What your one object is? There you go, pictures. Pictures is usually high up on that list. Absolutely. I think if we sat to think about it, we would all come up with something that has significant meaning for us, something that's precious to us. I have something very simple. It's kind of ridiculous. But my mom was not a coffee drinker. She was a tea drinker. I'm a coffee drinker because tea's just not strong enough. But she had this kind of cut white glass sugar dish that I know every morning when she had tea, she would open and put a little bit of sugar in it. And I have that now so that every morning when I drink coffee, I get sugar out of that dish, and every time I lift the lid, I think of my mom. This simple little dish, which she probably got at a secondhand store for 50 cents, because she was thrifty. Every morning, I think of her when I open that. Things like that are precious to me. I don't have a lot of possessions like that, but I have some. This idea of things being precious to us, it's not a new idea. We all have things that we love. We heard from the kids, food was up there on the list. Things like lasagna. Do you remember as a kid coming home and it's your favorite meal being cooked? How excited you were? Yes! Now you have to cook your favorite meal. It's kind of depressing. The Pharisees were always watching Jesus and watching what he was doing, looking for ways to call him out. 
And what Jesus did over and over again was gather around with people that the Pharisees deemed unworthy of his presence. Tax collectors and sinners. People who were unclean. People who were not righteous. and Maybe not even trying to live a righteous life. And the Pharisees and the legal experts grumbled at him. Because not only is he gathered around with them, he's eating with them. So Jesus did what he often did, and he taught by telling a parable. And there's a string of parables, and if you flip the page, the parable of the prodigal son comes after our reading. Jesus challenges them to understand what it means to have something that is so precious to you that you would risk everything to save it. Now, I've never been a shepherd, and I don't own any sheep, and I haven't owned any sheep, and I probably will never own sheep. So these stories can be hard to connect with. But for the first one, does it really make sense to leave 99 sheep to their own devices to go save one sheep? Do we have any people in here that grew up with animals? Would you risk the rest of your flock to save one? No. This doesn't make any sense. You would not leave sheep, which I'm told, I married into a farming family, are not the brightest of animals. You would not leave 99 sheep to wander to save one sheep. You would cut your losses and say, I've got 99, I lost one. This doesn't make any sense. It's not a smart move by the shepherd. So I can imagine the Pharisees hearing this. In their head, they're going, what is Jesus trying to say here? Because that doesn't make any sense. Then the story of a woman with 10 silver coins One silver coin would be about a day's wages for the average person. So one whole day's wages was lost. She had to find it. She couldn't afford to lose it. And she celebrates. Both celebrate when they find what was lost. And Jesus says God would celebrate all the more. There would be more joy in heaven for one sinner than for 99 righteous people. What the Pharisees were doing, and to a large extent what we still do, is we are trying to determine who is worthy of God's presence and who is not. That's what the Pharisees thought their job was, to be the gatekeepers of God and what is righteous and good, how to live a holy life. They were supposed to be the examples of it, and ultimately the ones who would weed out those who were unrighteous. So rather than going to save the unrighteous, quite the opposite, pushing away the unrighteous to save the righteous. Jesus' ministry challenges that notion. Jesus speaks against this idea because this is not what God gave when God gave the people the law. The law wasn't given to stay pure. 
It was given to stay connected to God. But we turned it into a purity test. The same is true today. We in the church are still trying to argue with each other and say who is worthy of God's presence. We still exclude people and label them sinners. We still grumble. We still fall into the same trap that the Pharisees did. But Jesus makes it clear. Jesus came not for those who consider themselves righteous. That's the irony in Jesus' statement. Jesus isn't actually calling the Pharisees righteous. He's pointing out the fact that they have deemed themselves righteous and worthy of God's presence. Yet Jesus reminds us that we are each precious to God. Precious enough to walk away from the 99 when we wander off. Precious enough for a son to be given. Precious enough for that son to be crucified and risen. Jesus did not come for the righteous. Jesus came for those who were deemed unrighteous and unworthy and unlovable As we seek to follow Jesus, we have to avoid falling into the same trap. We should ask ourselves seriously, who are we hanging out with? Are we worried about being seen with certain people because we might be judged as being unrighteous? Would you sit down to a meal full of sinners well, I hate to break this to you, but you've never sat down with a meal that wasn't full of sinners. What about drug addicts? Would you eat with a bunch of drug addicts? The homeless? Pick your group. Because if in your heart you get a reaction that, I don't know that I could do that, that's an invitation to view others how God views them. We have to set aside our own prejudices, our own presuppositions. We have to set aside our worldview. And as we seek to follow Jesus, pick up Jesus' worldview and view others as God views them, as precious and worthy of love, as holy, because God has made them holy. And when we start to do this, when we start to view others as God views them, it's then that we can make real connections with people. It is then that we can invite people to experience the hope found in Christ. It is then that we might be able to help people in meaningful ways, sometimes turn lives around. But more than anything, in forming those relationships, we will show them who God truly is through us. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Community Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. 